0: Here we go on a South Florida kind of Monday night, time for Iron Sports, True Oldies channel, I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but for the past couple of weeks, we can start off the show by saying, this is a great time for South Florida, and man, every week, it just seems to be getting bigger and better, and we're on the precipice of greatness with two teams here.
1: Two teams that were an eighth seed and a a seventh seed and make it. It's just simply unbelievable that we would be this where the Heat – Considering that last year both came in as number one seeds, that's what's so interesting. Yeah, last really year is. they were one seeds, and and the Heat did much better than the Panthers. But this year, both in hockey and basketball, it's like this is the time of year the snowbirds leave. Everybody's getting in. It. It's just—I was down there at the arena yes last night. Oh, was it exciting? Everyone's dressed in white, just tons of excitement except for the Celtic fans. And uh, <laughs> but it was just so such enthusiasm, such energy. It's amazing. It really is good. This is to think when I first started going to Heat basketball games. They had a tarp over the second deck. Like there was no, you couldn't even sit up there. Mm -hmm. And now it's. I'm paying a fortune to go to these games. That's all (laughs) Now,
0: Ten years ago, the Florida Panthers, same thing. I mean, the stadium would be 60% full, if that, and 80% of those fans were the away team. There was no Florida Panthers fans. Now you can't get tickets because everyone loves the Panthers. So South Floridians have embraced these uh, sports teams, and they're both getting ready to do something great. We're going to talk all about that tonight. Dan showing us. He's going to join us around 725, and um, we've had him on before. Excellent writer from the Boston Globe.
1: Boston Globe, and he's going to sort of break down what is happening to the Boston Celtics Because it's something, you know. I had a feeling yesterday that was so weird at a game. I was scared, like I couldn't believe what I was watching, and it was almost like, "What's happening?" Like you almost like, I couldn't believe because we'll go over in a second. I I just was in shock, and and I think if I was a like sometimes I look at fans. I'm like, boy, I'm I'm glad I'm not that a fan. You know, I'm I'm a Steeler fan and Penn State
0: and all that, and I'm like, somebody look. I am glad I'm not a Boston Southern fan right now. It's embarrassing, and we're going to talk about that uh, in a little while. Pat Deneen's going to join us. We've had him on before. Uh, former professional hockey player, UMass Amherst uh, staff there, so we'll talk with him. Get caught up on hockey. Ira, you said before you were in uh, Miami last night. Good game to be at. What else did you do this week? What that
1: was just it. I went to saw. Oh, I went to the P, uh, the Palm Beach Kennel for the club for the uh, Derby to watch the Derby. But only the one. when he
0: game? What yeah. he game this week? Yeah, you didn't have uh, many options. And this was something you know. We talked. I don't know if we said on air or just off air you were like before the series started do i want to go to boston for these games because i have good chance i'm gonna have to go to boston for the for the finals but obviously it's not not going that I, way look I, you know i'm the biggest Heat fan in the world
1: and and i just didn't see it i mean if you i think the problem was i watched the heat i should have not watched the heat all year just started watching yeah. the playoffs i'm like okay well i saw them play last year but watching them play all year this is their their imposters i mean this is clearly not the Heat. You know, And they're calling Brooks Kepka the Jimmy Butler of golf. So.
0: <laughs> don't forget you can follow Ira anywhere on social media. It's at Ira on Sports. Since you brought up Brooks Kepka, we don't toot our horn that much on this show. And we're not a gambling show. We are going to talk about the PGA Championship later. Well, said we're not a gambling show, but Ira pretty much laid this out last week. Vegas is not usually wrong. They're usually very good at their job. They have no idea what to do with live golfers. And Ira, you'd said... Why are we not betting these guys? Cam Smith is 40 to 1. Brooks Kepka is 25 to 1. We placed some bets this week, and we're both picking up nice paychecks on Brooks Kepka.
1: Vegas puts odds in a way that's, uh, that tries to get people to bet that. And if people are not betting Brooks Kepka for, for political reasons, they don't want to bet him because they hate live golf, then they have to make the odds so crazy <clears throat> so people bet him. And that's why the odds were so nuts. And, and, and anyone who watched, and also I think there is a factor that you don't watch live golf. I turned CW Network on, even though they shut off for the Marie Osmond infomercial. <laughs> but I'm watching live golf, and I'm seeing Brooks play great. I'm seeing Bryson play great, Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith. So I'm watching these golfers play great. So it's, to me, I was a safe bet. And I'm thinking, I, w- I mean, I was just surprised. You know, I knew Cam Smith, he finished in the top 10. Brooks finished in the top one. And I was just surprised Dustin Johnson finished like 50th. I thought he'd do better.
0: Yeah. No, we place bets on all of them. Like we said, we cash big. You can keep throwing your money on Rory McIlroy, who hasn't won a major in a decade at 10 to 1, or you can get these guys at two and a half, three times the odds uh, that actually have a shot. It's crazy. We'll talk more about that later. Let's start with basketball, though, of course. how did we get here, Ira? And this is something that nobody in the world of sports was predicting anything even close to happening with the Heat being up three nothing.
1: Well, I mean, and again, 149 and 0 is the record of teams that have been up three nothing in in basketball, in the NBA and it, with the series. So, meaning that 149 teams have gone up three three nothing and and only and zero have won. <laughs> so, and they've actually only forced a game seven three times. So, this is like both these series are. Are over. I mean, history's right, yeah. Right, And, and, and it's five times your favorite sport, hockey, five times teams have come back from 3 0. In baseball, it happened once. Don't the, remind me. The Red Sox and Yankees in 2004. I mean, it's going to happen sometime. You almost feel like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen with LeBron. Like, you, it's not going to be some Oklahoma City, New Orleans, whatever. It's going to have to be, I, can, I mean, only A-Rod, the Yankees, Red Sox, did mm-hmm. that, that it come in baseball. So I'm thinking it, if it's ever going to be a chance, it's going to have to be in that series with LeBron coming back or whatever. Um, a little bit, some just takeaways here. I have, uh, I have never seen what I've seen from the Celtics. I... I cannot believe when we we talk about coaching so much in the NBA, it doesn't really matter. This matters. Uh, Joe Mazzullo, their coach, is doing a horrendous job, and and Spolster is tremendous, and it's great. I mean, part what the the uh, the aspect of a of a team. They talk about Heat culture is player acquisition get the right players on the team. Boston has great players, so they've sort of hit that on the mark. They drafted great, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, uh, Brogdon, White. They have made trades, drafting, everything perfect. Player development, take the players in your system and develop them. Now, the Heat, Strews, Vincent, these are players, these are undrafted who now they're playing, so clearly they did well with player development. So have the Celtics. Brown and Tatum are phenomenal. They're much better than when they came in the league. How about game planning? absolutely horrendous it's like they the the, the game plan the Celtics come in are awful and the in-game adjustments are an embarrassment and that difference is what makes, I mean, the Heat, it really, this matters. The whole Heat culture, Pat Riley on down to Spolstra, and then you have the team of Butler and, and, and Bam and then the and, and Martin and Vincent and Lowry. The, the way they're playing, it's just tremendous. And, and, but it, that is the value of the coaching. And I think one of the other big benefits of the Heat, and I hate to say this, Tyler Hero, that Tyler Hero was, but he was important. The team would've never made the playoffs without him because there were so many games when Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo were not in the game, mm-hmm. were not playing, and he'd score 35. But I saw that during the year, that when Tyler was in the game, when he, he'd have a 35, 40-point game, then when Jimmy's in the game and playing in the next, one of the other games, he, Tyler would score 12 points, 10 points. Almost like, it's like either he's gonna have the ball in his hand and control, they're gonna score, or they're gonna play, or he doesn't really do much. And I think his defense is poor, turns the ball over. But since he's had his injury and they let Struess and Martin and Lowry and Vincent flourish, it is just the ball movement. Everything has been tremendous. And you look at how they run with Duncan Robinson, even on doing back cuts. I mean, it's just it's amazing what has happened with them, with the team. And uh, I think one of the other key things this whole series for the playoffs has been Bam Adebayo in foul trouble. They have no big men. They have Bam. They have Kevin Love who play plays like 10, 12 minutes, and Cody Zeller, who is actually the highest pick on the team. I think he was picked like third in the draft, like he's the highest, but Jimmy Butler was a thirtieth pick. Yeah. And the, so and Bam has stayed out of foul trouble. And somehow these teams that they play that are so much bigger, Milwaukee with Brooke Lopez and Giannis, and the Knicks with their tall players. And now Boston they can't take advantage of that because they would have no tall players. So which I think that is crazy. And uh, I guess, you know, my 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 com my one of my comments is that you watch the commercial. So I sit there, you see the same commercial all the time. And there's a Jimmy Butler, Michelob Ultra commercial where he's sitting back and he's cool, calm, and, 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 and offering someone a Michelob on the flying on the plane. But Jason Tatum is in the Subway commercial, the Hincense, the TV commercial, the Ruffles commercial, the Gatorade commercial. And when I see Butler last night, I mean, when I saw Jason Tatum last night in, in the, I couldn't get this out of my mind. In the third quarter, Derek White gets a rebound. He's dribbling up ready for fast break because Lowry and, and and our Vincent and, and and Butler were in the stands and the Heat were like three players were on the ground and he's like waiting for his team to join him like we're gonna have a fast break here <laughs> and Jason Tatum is running the court like it is the all-star game or an August game shuffling his feet just walking up and White's like come on guys and, and Tatum like tries to run a little faster but that to me was what's what's happened I cannot believe I've seen teams that have been great that have lost um, I've seen the Miami uh, Hurricanes, when they lost to Penn State, it was a huge upset. Buster, to Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas, but at least they tried, they tried at the end. These were huge upset of Villanova, Georgetown. At least Georgetown tried. I have seen teams that, that blow out teams, like Georgia beat TCU, I was at that game. Mm-hmm. Georgia was far better, Alabama, Miami. I don't think I've ever seen a team as favored. The Heat were given a 3% chance to win the series. They were underdogs 10 points one game, seven points another, and four and a half last night. And I've never seen a team that was so heavily favored just completely collapse, ever. Like, not even try and quit. It's amazing.
0: That's what stands out the most to me in this, Ira, is that I've never seen a team quit like this. And this isn't them quitting with five minutes to go in a 20-point game. They quit in the first half of this game. It was clear... They're not going to play defense. It, it's Everything's going to be one on ones, try to take it to, to the rim. There's zero team chemistry here. It's just, I, I can't recall ever seeing such a good team absolutely quit and have no desire to win. Well, last night, and we're going
1: to talk about games one and two, but I, I will just hit on last night because really there's nothing to talk about except it's like think about a tug of war or like an arm wrestling competition. You first get stand there, and it's like that first thing is like they both pull. In the first few minutes of the game, it's like Souths came out, played hard. But when they realized the Heat are going to pass the ball three times on offense, they're going to actually run the floor, they're going to do all these other things, it's like we're done. I mean, yeah. they're down 15, they're down 10, they're 15, and there was 30, and it was, it was, I've never been in a game, you know, I'm always someone who says anything could happen. It wasn't, I knew it. I mean, I was, um, it was, oh, you felt, so, it's like they didn't want to be in the game. It's like, if Spolstra and Mazzola would have walked out and said, "We're, we're it's over, like, let's, let's call it off, it's over. It's not, it's like, the Celtics agreed. Like, it was, this game was over in the middle, with, when they're down 30, with five minutes ago in the third quarter, but they were done in the beginning of that of the second half. It's like they just did not want to play that game. I don't think I've ever seen, I mean, TCU got blown up by Georgia. They tried and they were trying at the end. Like they were just not as good a team. This is ridiculous.
0: It's absurd. It's seven sixteen. This is Ira on Sports True These channel. You can follow Ira across social media at Ira on Sports. Let's go to game one. And this game was competitive, Ira. But you were already starting to see issues within the Celtics that you look, you know, projecting down the road what could be.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, the fact that Jalen Brown uh, was and in, and in, in Jason Tatum was shot seven, or shooting seven for forty from three points in the three games for, and uh, the, all from the three from the three point line. And the fact that they have more turnovers than assists. And I think it started up the first play of the first game, Butler guarding Tatum and then Vincent covering Brown. And that really bothered him because Brown was like, oh, well, we're used to playing and you know, we play the Sixers. They don't play really tough defense. Way, <laughs> now it's like, oh, we're going to play really tough defense. And they started Williams and Horford. So they went big, what they're supposed to do. But um, it, you could tell that, that Missoula was making mistakes. He put Peyton Pritchard in the game to cover Jimmy Butler one-on-one. It's like... Were you, were you watching? What were you watching? Peyton Pritchard could not cover. Like, it's like if the Celtics, if I said, if this if the Heat could have looked over the Celtics bench and said, who wants to cover Jimmy Butler? Like, we're going to pick Peyton Pritchard. That's who they would have picked. And he scores like six straight points on him. It was ridiculous. So 30 to 28, Boston after one. Uh, but the Celtics were sort of controlling the game. They went on a 15-3 run. And then at halftime, it was 66 to 57. And then they came out in the third quarter. And it was just like in Miami. There were no fans there. The Heat ran on, on a 13-to-1 run. It was 72-72. And in the third quarter, Miami outscored Boston 46-25, to 12 points for Butler in the quarter, 13 points for Strews. 46 was a franchise record in the playoffs for the quarter for the Heat. And it was 103-91 going to the fourth. And then it was like it was actually it was a weird fourth quarter because the Heat stopped scoring from 450 to 230. No team scored at all and then at the end of the game when the, when the score got close Butler had like three or four steals it seemed like it would play after he stole from Horford then he stole from Tatum and then uh, Tatum and then Brogdon makes one out of two free throws and 210 left Martin hit this amazing three to make it 117-110 and then Tatum traveled so one of the things that's come is like well Tatum didn't score in the fourth quarter he scored the, turned the ball over four times he tried to <laughs> and Butler was just stealing them and it was like again Tatum had three turnovers in three minutes and Butler made a three from a mile way and made it 120-110 Butler finished with 35 points seven assists by boards bam 20 points points, eight, eight rebounds, but the key, Vincent, Struce Martin, Lowry, all 15 points, and that was key. And then they also got Duncan Robinson involved with seven points, Tatum, 30 points, seven boards, four turnovers, but empty points, nothing in that fourth quarter. Jalen Brown had 22 points, nine boards, and five assists. But it was like one of those things where it was like, wow. And, and again, it was like you're on the road, and that's exactly what the Heat wanted to do. They go, they took the first game from Milwaukee, they, you know, they, they take the first game from New York, and that's the strategy. You have the, you're a lower seed, you take the first game, okay, you take that game, now you can go home and win your two. And that was key to, to take that first game.
0: So going into game two here, a lot of criticism on Jason Tatum uh, for his performance in game one. He decided to step it up. But that was pretty much all that they got you know production wise from the from the stars on Boston and Miami took another big win
1: oh we this game was the game of runs I mean Tatum would realize that people were criticizing him, so he goes out starts shooting 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 12 points um uh, you know going crazy with it they took a then there was a point where Boston went on a 21 to two run to lead by nine they were up 33 24 but then Miami goes on a 19 to two run we're running into one of these other things and I forgot the last point where Mazzullo said he goes we won three out of four quarters like that was his big thing we his comment after the game, game was, "It's like, wait, does that how we score? You score for <laughs> the quarter, and and, and, and again, it's like you listen to Missoulo in the in the press conferences, and you're like, what is he saying? You know, like I won, we won three out of four quarters. So Miami goes on a 19, four, 19 two run, 54 uh, 50 at halftime, and that was where Caleb Martin had 14 points. Really, he had one of his best games, and he. But it's like every day." Every night, the Heat, another Heat player. Either Vincent's going to have a good—like, last night, Vincent was great. Martin's great. Struis is great. It's one of those things where even Cody Zeller played five rebounds and was tremendous. And then in the third quarter, Tatum started taking over the game. He had a three-over Butler. Boston went on a 10-0 run at 83-75 at the end of three quarters. And you're like they're up by eight, and you think, well, this is their quarter. And then ninety-three, eighty-seven. Grant Williams hits a three to make it nine. And this is where the poke the bear. Grant Grant Williams, who hadn't played the first game, comes in, hits the three. He had he had, had all fights last year with the Heat when he played all the time, and he starts you know talking to Jimmy Butler. Butler doesn't like it, and they go back and forth. Four minutes left. Butler hits a a of three over over them. Uh, Grant Williams actually started well. hit up a dunk to make it 196. But then Williams missed the shot. But shot. Uh Butler makes a scores, you know, scores, made it 100-100. Butler then scored again over Williams. And they kept, you know, they, they didn't want it. They were like almost, let's have Williams out there. But what I noticed during the game was when Williams was, was pushing Butler, like no one came to his defense. Like they went face-to-face. They're yelling. But it's not like the Celtics, you know, were yelling at them. And, and I'll say this about the whole, and then the narrative of the game was, oh, don't poke the bear. It's all Grant Williams' fault. No, it's not. He tried. And... I was waiting for the Miami fans to yell at Grant Williams in the game. Like, they're going to yell at him. They are gonna almost appreciate it. They're like, you care. Your rest of your team doesn't care. But at least you're trying to bring a fight to this. But no one else seems to care. It's like, like a boxing match. Like, you're also respecting an opponent. And I think the fact that Grant Williams, and I'm starting to, after the game, was like, oh, it's all Grant Williams' fault. It's not Grant Williams. It's Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's fault. Not Grant Williams' fault. And uh, and then there was, like, even at the end of the game, 103-100, and Tatum drove, and, and Butler drew the charge. It's like, it's amazing. Love. Butler, Like, these guys, the veterans are taking the charges all the time. It was was amazing. Tatum, again, no field goals in the fourth quarter, fumbling the ball over. And then the key play was when Butler missed a shot, and then Bam gets this offensive rebound, dunked it, made it 105-100. And then Vincent hits another big shot to make it 107-103. For the quarter, Tatum was 0 for 3, Brown 1 for 5. And Butler ended with 27 points, Bam 22 points. But again, Struis 11, Robinson 15, Martin had his best game, 25 points. And that was key. And and, and, and Jason and Jalen Brown, awful. 7 for 23, 1 for 7 from 3. Tatum was 10 for 20, 3 for 10, 34 points. But it really, again, he had a terrible game. He's the only person who put stats. And so my friends in Boston said he was so... He was obsessed with averaging 30 points a game to be the only Celtic to average
0: 30. And it's
1: almost into stats and this and that and not into like winning the games. He didn't play winning basketball, certainly not in the fourth quarter.
0: So going to game three here, this was one of the most lopsided basketball games I've ever seen in my life, let alone be a playoff game when you're down two to nothing. But to back up your point on, on some of the role players for the Heat, you wouldn't have seen this because you were at the game, that they showed on TV at one point in the second quarter. The Heat's undrafted players... We're outscoring the Celtics. It was like 32 to 31. Not not Jimmy Butler's, not Bams. The undrafted people on this roster. It was absolutely insane. Max Struess was in training camp for
1: the uh for the for the Celtics. He was cut. He was cut. Um Duncan Robinson undrafted, Callum Martin undrafted, Gabe Vincent Gabe Vincent scored twenty-nine points. Um, combined Tatum and Brown scored twenty-six. So they're <laughs> in line for three hundred million dollar contracts each. Um, Gabe Vincent makes two million dollars a year. And so they both they make thirty million a year themselves. It was It was really one of the most—I would say the arena was electric. I wouldn't say it was loud. I don't think—I don't know what I would—I was just surprised at the middle of the the end of the third quarter, the whole stadium didn't leave. Now, by with Temets did, not they did when all the reserves were in the game, but— it was—and the—you know, stats are crazy. I love—you know, I quote stats more than anybody in the world. The Boston out-rebounded them 57 to 35, but it's only because the Heat didn't miss any shots. They shot 60 percent, 54 percent from threes, draining everything. And you could see the one play with like, when, like, Butler gets a rebound and Struis is hustling and he goes and he, and he shoots the three, and the fact that Duncan Robbins was doing those back cuts, and they were—they weren't they just could not—they did not want to play defense. They didn't want to play offense. They wanted to go down, take a quick shot, and Jalen Brown's air balls. I know maybe his hands hurt or whatever— but his air balls were terrible. Tatum drives to the lane slow, gets the ball stolen, and they complain after ever. I mean, people can, you know are mad about LeBron for complaining. It's like Tatum is complaining all the time. Like, they gave a technical to, to Smart. I think it's because Coach Mike McDaniel of the Dolphins, he, he was running up, and McDaniel looked at the ref, like, you've got to call a team sometime. <laughs> and I, but it was cool. There were, like, I think a half a dozen Dolphins there. Yeah. And McDaniel was sitting right there, and, and Shaq was there, and it's sitting next to Riley and Morning. And, like, I love that. Aspect of the game. There was Shaq, Riley, morning, and I was sitting right behind the owner, Mickey Harrison. And so everybody was coming up to Mickey after the game, like Shaq during the game, and and the Mike McDaniel did. And it was like, I just, it, the fact, Mike McDaniel is so into the game. Like, this is not just like when Belichick, they show up in a game, sits there. He is like cheering, rooting, and everything like that. It was cool to see
0: the, yeah, the, the Dolphins coming out and supporting them once again.
1: But I'll say this about game four tomorrow night. First of all, I messed up on the tickets. I bought yesterday's ticket and I bought Saturday's ticket and did not buy one for tomorrow. And <laughs> the prices would be okay in Boston, whatever. I I thought that the Boston fans would be selling their tickets, but the prices are sky high. But I think... They, the heat, and I know that he can do this, but the heat have to come out there and just pound him at the start. Boston will give up. Boston won't try, but they have to. They can't let him in the game because I think Boston, when they see that this is going to be a tough game, is going to say, We're going to stay here in South Beach and vacation. We're done. Like, I think that beginning part of the game, don't miss the game when it starts because that's going to be key. If Miami hits them hard, this game is over. The series is over. Miami's in the finals.
0: 725. This is Ira on Sports True Oldie channel. We've got Dan Shaughnessy from the Boston Globe joining us here in just a couple of minutes. We got to uh, pick up the pace here. We're getting behind Western conference finals. Ira. I'm one of the only people out there that thought Denver was just going to dismantle the LA Lakers. And I wouldn't call it a dismantling. It's nothing like we've seen effort wise from the Boston Celtics. However, you can tell Denver is the more solid balanced team and they've got more, more gas in the tank. I mean, if you look at the Lakers, it looks like they're tired. How did we get to three 0 I love how LeBron's played, and I don't want to criticize him. I think LeBron has a very
1: f- bad foot injury. He's running around, and if we're going to go, everyone's throwing LeBron and saying he's terrible, he's this and that. I think LeBron's playing great. His team isn't good. This is this is. It's not on LeBron. Anthony Davis, yes, I am not blaming LeBron for every for anything. I think he's out there trying, and I think he's amazing to watch, and I think this enhances his value. First game, Jokic went crazy. Was, was the first quarter? He had eight points, twelve boards, and five assists. They're up seventy-two and fifty-four. At halftime. Jokic has 19 points, 16 points, seven assists, and two blocks. And then the only amazing thing about it was at the end of the third, the Lakers made some adjustments. They put Rui Hachimura on, which people said, you should start big and put Rui in there, which I can say start him. And he did start at Schroeder. And they made it 124, 121 after Reeves hit a three. And then there was a great scramble for a ball. Michael Porter the third threw it to Aaron Gordon with a dunk. Reeves another three. And, uh, and then they made the shots. And it was just that at the ending of the game was great, but this was definitely the Joker game. Thirty-four points, twenty-one boards, fourteen assists, two blocks, and Jamal Murray had thirty-one points, five boards, five assists. Just one of those tremendous type of games that you that was just uh, just just absolutely amazing. What how well the uh, the the Nuggets played, and the fact that Porter stepped up, fifteen points, ten boards. And when you look at Aaron Gordon, he's the key. If he's hitting his shots, then that's opening up the offense. And Bruce Bra- Brown came off the bench and had sixteen points again. the Nuggets are so much like the Heat. They play with so much fire. They've been playing together. When they match up in the finals, I think that's going to be exciting finals.
0: Let's go to game two. It's another Denver win, but this one was actually pretty competitive.
1: Oh, this game was amazing. I mean, the Lakers came out uh, 9-0 run to start the second. Uh, they were leading at the half 53-48. to 48. Uh, And at that point, Rui had 14 points. AD only had one for six, seven points. So this is another bad Anthony Davis game. Joker gets 16 points, eight rebounds, and five assists. And then starting in the second, then the third quarter, the Nuggets were down 10 points most of the quarter, and then suddenly, you know, Jamal Murray at that point was 5 for 17, like just shooting terrible, but he ended up uh, just going on this amazing run, 20 to 5. He scored 23 points in the quarter. He had a 3, and then they, uh, then he had another 3, and another 3, and Brown had a 3, and it was like the Jamal Curry, and I love what Jokic did, because when Joker goes to set the picks, like he'll go and he'll set a pick and he'll set a pick and he'll free Murray up. If it doesn't free up, he'll then set it again and set it again and set it again. The one thing I saw in the Heat game, I'm going for one second back to that, was that when Jason Tatum was going, when they covered, Jimmy Butler had him, Jason Tatum was covering Butler. Tatum, did not want to stay with, um, with, with with Butler. Like they set a pick, he could have jumped back and me and goes, "No, that's okay. I'll let Robert Williams cover him." But it's like the way that Denver did is like they worked hard on offense, they worked hard on defense, and it was just am- all the threes that Murray made. In fact, they scored twenty three points, which was tremendous. He ended up thirty seven points the game, twenty three in the quarter. Joker got twenty three points, seventeen boards. But I mean, that was really one of the key things with the game. I mean, but even at the end of the game, Austin Reeves. I mean, it's just hitting these key threes to keep them in the game. But uh, just and the Nuggets uh, Michael Porter to the third junior had a, a terrible when he inbounded the balls he stepped over the line which is crazy <laughs> but uh, just a big win and I just was so impressed with just the how again Jokic doesn't care. He's like Butler. I don't care if I score. He's a facilitator or he has to score. If Butler needs to score 56, he'll score 56. If Jokic needs to do that, he'll do that. That's what superstars. Tatum, it seems like, if I'm not scoring, uh, what am I doing out here?
0: That type of thing. <laughs> game three, the prime example of that was the first half of game three, where Jokic was just doing everything to to facilitate points around him didn't need to score himself and this was a this was a pretty unbalanced win for Denver Jamal Murray had
1: the, this amazing start so Jokic had zero points in the first quarter Jamal Murray had 17 so he had 23 in one <laughs> and then he had 17 so he had 50 points in two quarters on the pace of uh, 40 points so just pace of scoring 80 points and uh, Murray kept him in the game it was just absolutely amazing where he scored 23 points in 14 minutes and at the point where LeBron said I have to cover Jamal Murray because none of the guards of the Lakers could cover him LeBron who has to do everything on offense is now covering Jamal Murray r- r- trying to stop him and then the one thing was that LeBron ran into Scott Foster the referee caused his whistle to break in his mouth and he's bleeding from the mouth in a game which I don't think I've ever seen Denver is up 58-55 at halftime and then with the, with Murray at 30 points uh, and with the rest of the team having only 28 and then in the second half and then Denver had like a two point lead after, after three and Joe could then start to become more aggressive LeBron threw this great pass to Anthony Davis Murray had then started missing shots. Missed eight shots. Laker actually took the lead, 85-84, and uh, and then then suddenly they went. There was a Murray made a turnover, 9-0 run. Murray missed another shot, but then Jokic just led this whole run where Jokic was just doing everything, whether it was passing, scoring, and then he decided he turns to Mike Malone and said, "I want to bring the ball up on offense. Like, just do everything. I'm going <laughs> to bring the ball because he brought Anthony Davis out, and even he, he was like, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know how to handle this. And like LeBron made a key three. Then, but it was the when LeBron made his three. Joker came back and made his three, and it was like there was just nothing they could do to keep up with that. And just a tremendous performance between Murray and Joker again. Um, one of these teams, like, Murray did not play well in the regular season. He was recovering from his ACL injury, so as he was inconsistent during the season. You know, similar to Butler in terms of the playing, in terms of not playing so many games, but certainly playoff Jamal Murray is like playoff Jimmy Butler, and what a great performance. But they get scoring from K- uh, KCP at 70 points. The last time they played, he played on the Lakers. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. at 14 points. 10 rebounds and six assists and Bruce Brown had 15 points and five rebounds. You know, they are very much like the Heat. They don't have much of a bench. So, it was that was what was so exciting in terms of that game. And now they have a 3-0 lead. If there's I look, I would give the Lakers a chance to come back from 3-0 more than I would give the Celtics.
0: Without a doubt. And, but I, I, I could see two sweeps happening also. And we're going to find out uh in about an hour what happens uh for the for the fate of the Los Angeles Lakers. So, being a Spurs fan is kind of a cool thing. You've had three number one overall picks at all time. One was David Robinson, one was Tim Duncan, and now they've got the best prospect coming in since LeBron James and Victor Wembanyama.
1: Yeah, it's just one of the, the the draft lottery came. They were, I think, the fifth or sixth uh, odds They're to get 13% it. A thirteen percent chance, right? I so they changed the odds. It used to be if you're a one, two, three, it was probably going to be, but they changed it so that they didn't want people tanking on purpose. That was the whole the, tri- the, the sixer thing. So they made it difficult like that. He's clearly, look, he's 7'5", can do everything. And the thing is that he's played in the French League for a number of years, and he's, what, 21 years old. So he's, he's young, 19 years old, I'm sorry. And he's been, but he's been a, he's been... Played against professional players, played great against them. But going to a San Antonio, like his team that he his old team he played on was owned by Tony Parker, who of course is still involved with the Spurs, and it's just the perfect thing where he can go to San Antonio. It's not going to be in the media eye. They've used to. They have half the team is foreign players themselves, so it, it's an easy thing for. They're terrible, but the fact is he'll be able to grow. It's not going to be this expectation. Oh, you're not scoring 30 points and those things. But I can't believe these expectations people have for him. But he's going to absolutely the most perfect. And Popovich stays. You know, people are asking like, why is Popovich staying on? Why does he retire? Well. He's had three bad seasons, and this is why they, they did <laughs> Unbelievable they have him. And I can't wait to see him play. I've, I've seen him play, you know, on NBA TV. He looks impressive, looks amazing. Um, and he I, he's, I'm telling you, it's going to, I can't say he's the next Le- I thought, I'll say this, LeBron looked more impressive. I saw LeBron in high school. I, I, LeBron looked more he looked impressive. Look an adult male. Uh, yeah, adult he was 16. Looked, <laughs> LeBron, yeah. Webb looks like a more advanced Kevin Durant in terms of a player because he's skinny, but he's tall. He can handle dribble, those things. LeBron just looked like amazing. But, look, this is going to be great. I can't wait to see him. And uh, Charlotte had the next, Charlotte got, made, who, we don't know who they're going to pick, but there's Scoot Henderson is probably the next best prospect. He plays in the G League, but he's more of a point guard. So the question is, would, uh, would Charlotte pass? because they already have uh, the ball playing at the point guard.
0: So any comment you want to make about the Kentucky Wildcats here? I just want to make this comment.
1: I was like looking at the playoffs. If you look at their lineup since 2014, since Anthony Davis won the title in 2012, they've had no titles and two Final Fours since then. But they had Julius Randle in 2014 for the Knicks, Devin Booker, and Carl Anthony Towns in 2015. Jamal Murray, who we saw last 2016, bam out of Malik Mutt, and De'Aaron Fox in 2017. Shankin Luke Alexander was first team All NBA for the Oklahoma City 2018 with Vanderbilt, who's playing for the Lakers who starts Tyler Hero 2019, and then 2020 quickly in Maxi. John Calipari is a terrible game coach, but he is a symbol. This is an amazing group of talented players. Like, there's no school that could have come to one quarter of that. There's no way Duke or anyone else could do that. It's a pretty amazing. And the one other thing is Carmelo Anthony retired today, which he hasn't played in a couple of years. But the pick when the Knicks made that trade, Denver
0: used one of those picks for Jamal Murray. Interesting how that goes. Yes. Let's go to Dan Shaughnessy. It's Iron Sports.
1: Siren Sports. We're so pleased to have Dan Shaughnessy, who is a longtime Boston Globe sports writer. And uh, Dan, this is, you know, the one thing I like to say is that there's people after last night's game, I have a lot of friends who are Boston, you know, love the Celtics, everything about the Celtics. Today they're, you know, looking at their psychologists, uh, maybe calling their psychiatrists, whatever. But I think that the book that you wrote, Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Burr Celtics, that they should run out, if you're a Celtic fan, run out to the bookstore, get this book, go out. We're down here in South Florida. It's nice that there are a ton of Celtic fans down here. Go sit outside, read the book. That, to me, is the best therapy for what happened last night.
2: Well, I appreciate that. It is available on Amazon and you will have fun if you like basketball in the 80s because that in my view that's when the NBA was its most fun kind of the, the best TV product and really launched the league into the the global product that it is today. The the bird magic wars of the 80s were like the Alley Frazier fights. that just put the NBA on the map and gave way to Michael Jordan, to the Dream Team and and the global product that you have today. But those guys in the Celtics in the 80s They were fun, and we got to tell you what they were like as we traveled with them. We traveled commercial, lived with them on airplanes, buses, practices, hotel bars, waiting for bags, all that stuff. And as a reporter in those days, you were able to really tell the readers, the fans, what the players were like, why things were happening. That Celtic team I covered, they did get swept in a series. They got swept by the Milwaukee Bucks in 1983. It was ridiculous. They had Bird, Parrish, McHale. Maxwell, Tiny Archibald. had Hall of Famers all over the place, but they were done with the coach. There was a lot of gr- grumbling going on, and I was able to tell the readers what was going on. You really don't have that today. We don't know what's going on with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, the new coach, who likes who, who's mad, the AAU Warriors, and it's there's a lot of stabbing in the dark, but what we're seeing right now is, is certainly, you know, it, there's just no excuse for this. They were so heavily favored in this series. They're within one game of getting swept out of it. A team that, you know, the Heat, God bless the Heat. They're tough, and and, and they deserve where they are. But they had to play two playing games just to get in the tournament. They, they finished 13 games behind Boston during the regular season. They're an eight seed. And they got seven undrafted players. I mean, and, and they're just completely outplaying the Boston Celtics. So good for the Heat. Bad for the Celtics. That's where we are going in.
1: <laughs> and I was, you were like a student in a course, and I was a professor. I would say this would be like for the. You probably need twenty blue books for this, but it would be compare and contrast the Bird, Parish, McHale, Celtic teams with this current team, uh, focusing on how about front office, coaching, stars, and role players. And no.
2: uh, <laughs> that, that's a good point because what I what I came away with from doing that book and, and talking to them all these years later how secure they were in their own greatness. And that's a real asset. They weren't jealousies. They weren't worried about touches. Larry getting more headlines. Larry getting more money, more All-NBA, this and that. The guys today, you just get a sense that the wrong things are important to them. You know, Subway Sandwich commercials or MVP of the All-Star Game or Top 5 All-NBA, Top 10 All-NBA. They talk about it a lot. They see value in these things beyond winning championships. And that's why... They don't win in this many. I mean, the Celtics, for all their greatness, they're stuck on 17. They've won one championship since I was covering the beat in 1986. So that's one time, and that was 2008. And that's just insufficient given the history they have with you know, Russell and Havlicek and McHale and Bird and, and you know, those great teams, those great years when they, they were winning it every year of my youth. So it's a, it's a fall for them, and people still really care about them. And that's what's so disappointing for their fans to have a no-show performance in a critical game like you had last night.
1: And then the second part of the two-part question would be compare and contrast the Bird-Celtic teams with this Miami Heat team, with the fact that you have four undrafted players and you have a superstar in Jimmy Butler and a coach in Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley being the general manager. Talk about in terms of you know the comparison. In many ways, this is similar to the, that, those teams.
2: Well, Riley is 78 years old, and Red was still playing his craft at that age, and Red had grievances against a lot of people in the league and Riley hates the Celtics with the power of a thousand suns. That goes back to my time covering the team in the eighties. It was, it was built in. He thought they were putting heat in their locker room. He thought they were dirty. He thought they were thugs that, you know, McHale taking down Rambus, you know, they had to change hotels three times in their final series in 84 because people were pulling the fire alarms and sending up phony room service. And, you know, he just, and they, they had a superior team and they just choked it away. And, they lived with that. Next year, they came in and won in the Garden. And for Kareem and Riley, it was the highlight of their professional lives, I believe. So they've got the the model at the top. You know, Riley's a lot like Red in that sense. And uh, the roster of that Celtic team did have guys that were a little – they weren't undrafted. You had seven, eight, nine rounds of draft then. But you had guys, you know, Jerry Henderson from Virginia Commonwealth. You had Dennis Johnson from Pepperdine. Larry Bird, Indiana State, Robert Parrish, Centenary, Cedric Maxwell, North Carolina A&T, or Charlotte, or whatever they were. So they were all lower tier conferences. They weren't the Blue Chippers. You know, the Lakers had, you know, Kentucky, North Carolina, Arizona, UCLA, you know, Magic, Michigan State, and like Larry spent his whole career taking out his vengeance on guys from the Big Ten <laughs> and the Pac-10 because he they didn't recruit him. SEC and you know, I mean, Southern Indiana where he grew up. They even dump on it in Indiana. It's, it's it's considered, you know, kind of the trash part of the state if you live in Indiana. So, he was always like trying to beat the ass of, of people that played at better conferences and kind of the blue chip places, and and that that stayed with him the whole time. He gave him that hunger. So yeah, I think uh, to that degree, I mean the Heat are very admirable. Seven undrafted players, they're tough, uh, but I mean they got guys Caleb Martin, outscoring you know, outscoring Jason Tatum. I mean it's like. And one of their guards is uh, was let go by the Celtics in 2019. He's the starter. Uh, I'm looking at, uh, Max Drews, Max
1: Drews was, Bruce. Cut, so was they, cut by the Celtics. Yeah.
2: He was cut by the Celtics in 19 so they could keep Javante Green, who I think has played 12 <laughs> games in the NBA subsequently. So, yeah, that stuff's very real. And uh, I, I give the Heat all their props. I, I love the Heat. Love the Heat culture. And I just think it's... It's marvelous what they're doing. It's it's not TV's greatest goal to have a Denver-Miami NBA Finals, but that's what you're going to get, and uh, they both well deserve it.
1: I mean, this whole playoffs, during the you kept thinking, okay, they struggled a little against Atlanta, the Philadelphia series, but you're thinking, okay, now Boston, they're healthy. Remember, they added Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon, who was, was a starter, last, you know, two years ago, and then now he's the sixth man of the year. They are healthy this year. They were hurt last year. And they come in this series, and the games one and two, just all the problems that the Celtics have had all year came to fruition in those two games. And then this third game, and I won't tell you, I was there. I was in row 14 yesterday watching that. I have never seen a favorite team. I mean, when I, my comment is this. When Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas, he tried, at least. It was a huge upset, yeah. but he at least tried. they didn't try.
2: No, that was bad. It was like a no-show. It was very disappointing. And believe me, people are talking about that, and there's a lot of, you know, unhappiness with that, because what you, what you saw is what they feel back in Boston. That's just not acceptable. I mean, it's just not okay, and it feels like they quit, and um, I don't know how that happens in a game of, you know, you lose two at home, and you're the favorites, you come down here, and you have a no-show in a game like that, not acceptable. But people notice, just like you did.
1: And then in your book, At Wish It Lasts Forever, you covered, of course, the 86 team that went 40-1 and one at home, 10-0 and 0 in the playoffs. Uh, this year they were great at home at 32 and nine, but now that the Celtics are four and five at home in the playoffs and the Boston garden, it's just impossible to even think about that.
2: I know. I don't understand that at all. Four and five in the playoffs. It's been, you know, the Bruins lost three at home uh, as, as well there. So the, the Boston teams are two and eight in the last 10 games at the Boston garden. And, you know, both teams were expected to win the championship this year. So it's been kind of a non good luck barn the last uh, month or so, but this team, I don't know what that's about. they, and they do. They turtle up in close games. You didn't have a close one yesterday, but the metric we have is games decided by five or fewer points in the last three minutes, they're 0-6 in the playoffs. So that tells you something, too. They're front runners, And, uh, and we know this. It doesn't mean they can't win it. They still kind of scare me a little bit in that I think they could actually get back into this series, as stupid as that sounds, because on paper, there's no reason they can't beat the Heat. But If they're just as demoralized and discombobulated and quitting a coach, then it should be over tomorrow night.
1: I mean, you mentioned earlier about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Well, Jason Tatum was the first team at All-NBA. Brown was the second team All-NBA. The performance last night was just embarrassing. The fact that Gabe Vincent, another undrafted player, outscored both of them combined. The fact that they've shot seven for 40 in three-pointers in the playoffs, they have more turnovers than assists. This is clearly, uh, again, I thought, boy, these two are great. They'll work together. You need to have two superstars. But this series is, I mean, they're questioning whether you keep them together.
2: Yeah, it's a meltdown because you you saw you know, they took them too long to get rid of the the average heat. I mean, the, I mean, excuse me, the Hawks. Hawks are a 500 team. They got beat twice by them, including once at home. That had to go six, and the Sixer thing unnecessarily went seven. And they're all happy they have Game Seven. And Tatum had 51 points, and everybody's thinking, okay, here we go. But they've always owned the Sixer team. Sixer team was, you know, James Harden's going to calcify in mid stride at some point, and you know, beat they figured him out quickly, and. They just should have done that more quickly than they did. So here they come into this and just a complete, you know, pantsing by Spolcher and by that hungry roster and by Jimmy Butler.
1: And then I think one thing about the Atlanta series, like I'm a big fan of Quinn Snyder. I think he's a genius. And the fact yeah. that he takes over that team in that first round playoffs, take those two games, and now Spolster against Joe Missoula, you're starting to really Ooh. question. I mean, this whole, I mean, again, in his answers, I mean, after the first game when he said, well, we won three out of four quarters, I mean, that was ridiculous.
2: You
1: know, that comment was so crazy. And I just think it's like, wow, have, have, is this, I mean, they had the problem with Imi Aduko. They let him go. And and then they, they go with Joe, and, and Missoula is just, it seems now, I've never seen a team just totally fall apart like this with from a coaching perspective in terms of the players and the coach, and his in-game decisions, his, his, game, his decisions going into the game are incorrect. And then even that first game when he had Peyton Pritchard on Jimmy Butler one-on-one, it's like, what are you thinking? Like, that would be if the, he had one person to plan him, they'd probably say, Pritchard, you guard Butler. Like, it was crazy.
2: It was. And, you know, even if just having Pritchard it on the floor, they, they'll they hunt him down. They find him they'll work the switches and, and make that happen. And you're right. He went at him three times in a row. And no one's been able to handle Butler. But, yeah, the coach stuff, I mean, you know, not calling the timeout when they had the 46-point third quarter in, in game one was just really curious. And, you know, he didn't call the timeout, and they never got a shot off in the 19 seconds left in overtime in the game in Philly. The non-timeout thing has, has been all over him, and now the rotations are starting to become questionable not double-teaming Jimmy Butler. I mean, they did it twice last night, and he had a turnover and a miss, an airball, I think. It's like, how hard is that? It's been going on for 100 years in basketball. So he's stubborn about that and doesn't like to do it. And uh, there's some real questions about, you know, why so loyal to Al Horford at the end of games, you know, when Robert Williams has played pretty well, and, you know, why Marcus Smart always at the end of games when he tends to turn into a, you know airball-shooting you know, turnover machine. But it's uh it's just bad all around, and I, it's not really his fault. I mean, it was too much to expect him to 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 coach at this level against these kind of guys, especially with the crew he's got. Because Brad Stevens couldn't get to these guys. May kind of did, but he only had one year, and it's just and it looks like they've tuned out the new kid.
1: Well, I mean, you mentioned about Robert Williams. I mean, the size advantage, and I just keep waiting because. I'm there yeah. The game. Bam, people don't realize, Bam Adebayo, he was on, on set with Charles Barkley, like Charles is bigger than Bam Adebayo is, like he's not big, like they have Cody Zeller and then they, uh, uh, you know, as another center, yeah. and Kevin Love, the, the fact that the Celtics were not, I mean the Bucs weren't able to advance, you know, take advantage right. of their total size with Lopez and Honest, and now with the Celtics, I'm like, there's no way, just get Bam in foul trouble and then Cody can play 10-15 minutes, who is going to, Callum Martin is going to be your tallest player on the, on the court.
2: Absolutely true. It's it's amazed me how, how small they are and how much they get done, and the fact that you've not been able to exploit that—it's crazy.
1: The um, do you so do you would you expect like. Would you expect him to start uh, Robert Williams? Is the Derek White, this whole debate, who's going to start for this next game? Is that going to be even, is it going to even matter? I mean, I guess the point is, do you even have strategy? Is he going to be able to to get to these players? And did the, like I was watching Tatum and Brown on the bench. They weren't even talking to each other. One was on one side, one's on the other. They're, They're just, there's no fire. And Marcus Smart, the one thing about him is he's not even fired up anymore. Like it's just, it's just weird. They were all, he was sort of mellow.
2: The only time they're fired up is when they're bitching the officials, which they do the whole game to turn the officials against them. It's embarrassing, and it's really unseemly, and it, it doesn't help. And if you're down 30, shut up. Just try to have some dignity in this thing.
1: And then the one thing about Grant Williams, I mean, everybody was talking about, oh, you poked the bear. Well, at least he was out there trying hard. I mean, I'm sitting next to Celtic. You know, the Heat fans, everyone was waiting for the Heat fans to boo Grant Williams. I think they appreciated. They're like, wow, he, Grant Williams is playing like a Heat player. He's actually there trying on, like, we can't boo him. He's, he actually cares. I, I swear, all the Heat fans around me were like, I don't want to boo him because he actually seems to be like he wants to be out there. Whereas nobody else wanted to be out there.
2: Yeah, he's pushing back a little bit. He's definitely got that in him, unlike most of what we've seen from their stars.
1: So do you, I guess we're talking to Dan Shaughnessy, the book of Wish It Would Last It Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. (laughs) Again, it's a great book if you're a Celtic fan. And most of my Celtic fans turn the the sets off by halftime, and I don't know if they're going to watch Game (laughs) 4. So don't watch Game 4. Go out to Amazon or order it from Amazon. Go to Barnes & Noble and buy this book. But I guess the question would be, is this what we look right now? Are they going to switch coaches? Do you think they're going to switch play? What is going to happen to this team?
2: Well, I think if if they get swept, I think they kind of have to fire Missoula or or find another place for him, make him an assistant coach again or something. I don't know. He's going to have a career in the league. This was just too soon and wasn't ready. And and he's 34 years old. He's a good basketball man. And this isn't his fault, but uh, it's asking too much. So, yeah, I think you have to have a, a different coach. You know, they can go get Nick Nurse or somebody. I mean, and then they got to figure out the roster, though. I mean, the Brown Tatum thing. This is the sixth year together, seventh year for Brown. It's their time. I mean, Larry Bird won a ti- third title in the seventh year. It's it's their time. This is supposed to be it. They're both top ten, all NBA, mm-hmm. and um, you know he went out as you pointed out. He went out and got Brogdon. Williams is a year older, healthier. This was this was the time, and the whole thing was paved. You know, the Bucks getting taken out and. Warriors getting taken out and it's just all the problems that were in, in front of them. Uh, this was there for the taking and they've just uh, just uh, you know fizzled it away.
1: And Denver's not even a deep team. I mean, I like Denver a lot and they play hard, very much like the the Heat, but they only go six guys, seven guys, maybe with Jeff Green. So they're not even a deep team. And Celtics had all these advantages and and just it, right, it totally was paid for there and weren't able to. But Dan, I know you're super busy, but thanks so much for coming on Iron Sports and talking about the Celtics. I really appreciate it.
2: Enjoyed it. Take care of
0: yourself. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira's all over social media at Ira on Sports. Time to bring in Patrick Deneen, former UMass Amherst hockey standout. And Patrick, I'll be the first to admit, man, was I wrong about the Florida Panthers trade with the Calgary Flames in the offseason. Trading their leading points, uh, leading point scorer, Jonathan Huberdo, along with Mackenzie Weaver, who's a, a fantastic defenseman. For Matthew Kachuk, a guy who plays in the Western time zone, you don't really see him that often over here. What a smart move that was as we're seeing the Panthers uh, roll on through the playoffs.
3: I heard the final stages of the planning for the Ch- Kachuk is being laid out. <laughs> Slightly bigger than Bobby yours um, rightfully so. Special shout-out to Paul Fenton. Uh part of the brass on the Florida Panthers and uh, it seems that any decision that needs to be made, he's uh, you know, they inquire with him and his thinking and I just hope he was part of that uh, the brass that made the decision because they look like geniuses.
0: Yeah, Kachuk is just a force to be reckoned with. uh, Scored the overtime winner in the game uh, two days ago. So we're going to see game three of this one, and not many people thought that uh, the Panthers would even be here right now, let alone having a 2-0 series lead. What do you think happens uh, the rest of the way with the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes?
3: Well, you're asking a guy who thought two Canadian teams would be in the Stanley (laughs) Cup final. But, but, uh, you know, it depends how the players handle it. There are players on both sides, west and east, with a two nothing lead, and they've been in this position before, and they've given it up before. If you remember, the St. Louis Blues gave up two nothing series lead, and uh, and series were tied two two across the board before they won their cup. And many of those players are now on other teams, and and they're left playing for the four teams now. So if they use that thinking, you, you have to think one game at a time. You can't think I'm two games closer to a Stanley Cup. That I only need two games. You need to think it's zero zero, and tonight's you know go time.
0: So I was looking at this series, and I said here on Iron Sports before these series started, I said whoever wins the the Florida Panthers and Carolina Hurricanes series is going to win the Stanley Cup because I just really don't buy into the defense of the West, the teams, the defense of the team, the West teams um, that were left. I didn't buy the goaltending, but watching Dallas and Vegas, I'm impressed with how they play defensively, how they buckle down. There hasn't been six goals, you know, per side. So I'm starting to give a little bit more credit to Dallas and Vegas.
3: Yeah, the funny thing is out West, you don't catch as many games when we're on the East Coast here. And now you start seeing them and you realize both of those teams out West, Dallas and Vegas are coached by some of the best coaches in the game. Um, The Vegas coach was, was let go from Boston. And ironically, Boston gets a run, has the best, most wins of the regular season. And now he's coaching Vegas to potentially a Stanley Cup final, uh, which is amazing. And on the other side, too, is coaching Dallas. These guys are the best of the best. And they could make adjustments on the fly. They could look like an offensive team one day and then totally pack it in defensively and, and be a stalwart and win a one nothing game. The next day. That's how good these guys are.
0: All overtime games so far. It's been a fantastic playoff run. And we got our Panthers dropping the puck here in about five minutes. Pat, thanks so much for joining. Ira, you have anything for Pat?
1: Just one thing about the overtimes the fact that these games are, are overtime, they don't play overtime in the regular season except for the five minute uh, three on three. Hmm. Is, it, is it a different way? I mean, in terms of playing this, I mean, now they're playing. And do you expect that the fact that these games, one, went to four overtimes, the conditioning of, both, of any, all these teams, really?
3: Oh, the conditioning's so good. These are elite athletes, and arguably the best athletes on the planet are hockey players. Everything they're doing on a thin blade ice, thin thin steel on on ice. I mean, it's 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 crazy. These guys are in such incredible shape. But in between periods, they're drinking Red Bulls, they're eating pizzas, they're getting energy every way they can, just like uh, a couple of you guys on the golf course, you know.
0: Absolutely. Patrick Deneen, thank you so much for <laughs> joining us. We're looking forward to our Panthers hopefully getting a big win tonight at home. Ira, got to talk a little PGA here. We mentioned earlier Vegas giving us free money here with Brooks Kepka on this win. Michael Block, though, is really who stole the show of this tournament. But a lot of people across social media, I follow a lot of, um, you know, Golf Digest, a lot of it, the publications. People are saying this was the most exciting major they've seen in recent memory, and I have to agree with them. Well, it was
1: exciting because at the end, I don't know if it was the most exciting. I was hard. I was listening to it. I love listening to golf in the radio because I was driving down to the heat game. So Sunday was most like driving down through the traffic, even on Sunday, still here in Florida. But uh, it was one of those, what Brooks did that he did do against the Masters when he blew the lead was that he started out fast. He birdies two, three, and four. Havan matched the birdies at four and five. But the fact was he started the day out with a with a one-stroke lead, but he got up to two strokes. And then when he got his bogeys in at six or seven, you knew it was going to run, whatever, and Hovland, you know, was able to keep that one-stroke lead the whole time and then, or take it to two, never get, letting Hovland get tied. Now, on 13, it came down. Was He saved 13 for a par. Hovland ended a birdie. but if he would have bogeyed, they would have been tied on that yep. hole, and then they both birdied 14, and then, uh, then he was then he set it up for 16, where Hovland destroyed the hole, got a double bogey, could have been a triple bogey. Brooks birdied the hole, and that was over, four-stroke lead. The only thing that was interesting is Scotty Scheffler, who is – Boy, if you bet, you just have to put money on Scheffler because his B game—he—he he like plays terrible in a tournament, not terrible, but, but a B game. Finished the second place, so it's really he is one of the—he's always going to be in the money. He just drives so well, so straight, and uh, and he and he, he four, four bird and he closes well, four birdies in the last nine holes. But Brooks his third PGA Trophy, fifth overall. Only Jack, Nicholas, and Walter Hagen have five, and Tiger has four. So he's just behind those guys. And and he's won five his last 22 majors. Only Tiger, Jack, Arnold Palmer, Nick Faldo, and Ben Hogan have a better streak over that period of time. And, uh, and so he has five majors, and that's more than Rory and everyone else. Only Phil and Tiger have more uh, that are playing right
0: now. It, it is crazy. And what you said is absolutely true. As someone who had money on Brooks Kepkin, in the Masters, you knew on the first drive of Sunday – this is going to be a long day for Brooks. Never saw that yesterday. It was dialed in Brooks Kepka. He, you know, the sand ended up burying Victor Hovland when he uh, got into the sand, thinned it, and didn't make it out of the sand. Brooks Kepka had an awful sand lie as well, where he's basically on the upside of a wall, and he positioned himself perfectly and hit a hit a ball to five feet. It was just dialed in Brooks Kepka. And going forward in majors, I don't know how he's not among the top 3 favorites. It's just the way he's able to turn it on is just fantastic and I'm really appreciative that Vegas is not valuing them correctly. And then, you know, this also gets into the live thing. I mean, clearly Brooks is becoming this dominant
1: golfer. We would love he's from here. He's from this area. Can't play the Honda Classic. Not allowed. Like yeah. it's absolutely ridiculous that they could that the PGA who the Honda can't find a sponsor. They would be a lot easier to find a sponsor if they had Brooks Kepka involved in the tournament, <laughs> who wants to play the tournament, but they won't let him play the tournament. And I think it also throws the whole live golf. As I said, I you know the fact that Bryson DeChambeau comes back, lost a lot of weight, lost the bulk, and was playing. Now he looks fantastic. He was, was the dry, J1 leader. Was yeah. great. Was and finished in fourth place. And then Patrick Reed finished 18th, and Mito Pereira finished 18th. Have five golfers in the top 20. Uh, from this tournament, and Cam Smith, we forgot about Cam Smith. Who finished finished ninth. Who came on and had another strong day, and and I think at that level in terms of, and one thing about the live is that people make fun of it, but they are playing at these top golf courses all around the world, and the PGA and the U.S. Open are played on different courses. It's not like they're going to the Memorial every year. They know the course, or they know the Riviera where the, where I go out in L.A. It's it's the different courses, and I think that helps them actually prepare to play on these top-flight hard golf courses when they're playing. Now I know they're wearing shorts and they're wearing this, but anyway, people make fun of them wearing shorts they're not wearing shorts at the, in Rochester, it was freezing cold. <laughs> so they're not going to wear shorts all the time. I mean, Brooks Kafka's is not wearing shorts constantly. Um, but it, the other thing about this, John Rahm, very, you know, finishing in 50th place plus seven had a really bad tournament. And that's the one where the two favorites was Rahm and Scheffler. And, and I was expecting what you expect Rahm after winning the masters. And then he, you know, he always says, I'm not going to yell at the, he was yelling at the photographers and the, everything about that. But, uh, Justin Thomas had a bad tournament, finished 65th plus 12. Phil was plus 10. And, uh, Missing the cut, Ricky Fowler missed the cut. Cam Young, who a lot of people were betting on, he missed the cut too. But uh, it was. But I guess we're going to talk about Block a little bit.
0: Yeah, this guy—he's become a cult, a cult hero overnight. Um, They're talking about maybe making Michael Block movies now and stuff like this of his life. It's kind of crazy, but I mean, you gotta feel great for this guy. And that hole-in-one on 16 was just one of the coolest things I've ever seen. He switched it, which was just like if this was the perfect weekend for this guy, you you wrote it up.
1: It's it's amazing. You know, they, they used to have 40 PGA golfers enter the tournament in terms of that were professionals. He charges $125 an hour for lessons at Mission Vao. I'm sure he can up his <laughs> per hour charge now after playing with now. And he and, and then now they reduced it to 20. So there's been a lot of push to say well, should it should only be 10. It's not fair because they but they actually have to play a tournament. They don't just Pick around; they actually have their own PGA Golf Professional yeah, they qualify Tournament. In. Yeah. But they run the tournament. Like I don't have a problem with them having 20 spots. I mean, I think it's fine, and I think these stories are great. He was the only one who made the cut, but he played well. And I thought it was interesting. He played with Rory on the final round, and maybe you know Rory's just been struggling. Maybe Rory being in this mix with Block playing and the craziness that was going on and everything that'll loosen Rory up and, and have some impact on him. That he got to see golf and was fun. I didn't hear any Rory make any comments afterwards, but I'm sure he. It was a positive experience.
0: Ira on sports, truly. Of Mike Balsamo so it's always a little disappointing to me Ira once there's no Triple Crown in line mage didn't have what it takes to get the win uh, at Pimlico congratulations to National Treasure he was the number two uh, in this race
1: yeah you know I I wanted I was at the, I went to the Palm Beach would have watched it and I this is how I look I didn't we didn't really talk about last week so I'm not getting myself too great. but I said I I think Mage, because running a couple weeks after running, it's only the fifth race it's run. It was going to be a little tired. But the other horses, the Red Root Run, Chase the Chaos, Perform, and Coffee with Chris were such weak horses. I didn't think they had a chance. But National Treasure was a really good horse. And Bafford, who's been on suspension, seems, for two years, you knew he was putting all his effort. He usually has like a zillion horses. But this is the only horse he has. I mean, a lot of times he starts three or four horses on these triple crown races. So I think he probably was focused and ready. He's the best trainer out there. So I like National Treasure to win. And then I like Blazing Sevens because, um, there, first of all, the Forte's Jockey Ortiz was running it, but Chad Brown could have ran Blazing Sevens in the Kentucky Derby, chose to not run it in there, so thinking that that was going to be a horse, and they went, you know, head-to-head, and Mage was just good enough to be, I mean, it was really, National Treasure and Blazing Sevens were 1-2, uh, Coffee with Chris was had some speed up there at, at the front, but it's really those two the whole way, and Mage finished third. Wasn't that most exciting of a race, except at the end, the fact that those two were battling it out to see who was going to, to
0: win. Before we wrap it up, Bob, we lost the legend. Jim Brown passed away over the weekend.
1: I mean, one of these. He was the greatest lacrosse player ever. He was one of the best college football players ever. In nine years, the NFL, eight times first team all-pro, third team time, three times out of nine years he was the MVP. He's the only running back to average a hundred yards per game. After he retired when he was young, he became one of the top actors in the USA. He was the, one of the greatest civil rights leader. He's in LA, putting Bloods and Crips by getting gang warfare. He's leaving his door open, letting them all come and sit in his living room, talking to people, and uh, just an amazing. You know, 1983. 17 years after retiring, he was mad that Franco Harris was going to try to break his record uh, for rushing yards, and he said, I'm going to come back and play, and he actually challenged (laughs) Franco to a 40-yard dash and barely lost, even though Franco was like 18 years younger than him. He was voted one of the, the top fourth uh, athlete in the top 20th century between Ollie, Ruth, Jordan, and then Jim Brown and in the NFL had a list a couple years ago and he was the second best as much as they say Brady's the GOAT. A lot of people believe that Jim Brown's the GOAT. He was the second best behind Jerry Rice. So really just a tremendous life, tremendous everything and uh, uh, and I saw him. I went to a lot of Cavaliers games. He would always sit in that front row at the Cavaliers games. love sports and actually he had a house in South Beach. He would go to South Beach. He said he loved gardening and loved to his house guard. So just an amazing guy and uh, a terrible loss.
0: Ira, what do you have to this week yeah
1: heat we're gonna to go to the heat tomorrow night so we'll see what happens and, and maybe we'll go to see a panther game but we'll see but definitely heat tomorrow night
0: i want to thank so much to uh, dan shaughnessy patrick Deneen he's ira a mike let's talk next monday night iron sports